Hi everyone, I'm Lee Savile Ixik, and this is the Artsbound Podcast, where I speak with professionals from across the performing arts industries to capture bits of wisdom, insight, and inspiration for students and young professionals who are exploring careers in music, theater, and dance. Today I am speaking with David Whitnack, who is Vice President of Operations at Night Song Concerts, the production company of pianist George Winston. Dave has a serendipitous tale to tell of how he got into concert production that goes all the way back to being a college student studying general studies who was given an opportunity to run a small campus auditorium. He has some powerful wisdom to share when it comes to how you treat others in your professional world and taking hold of opportunities when they present themselves to you. Here's my talk with Dave. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Hi, Lee. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too, and thanks for taking the time to be on the show. So um, I'm going to jump right in to talk a little bit about uh, your current work. You and I crossed paths while I was teaching uh, public school, and you were the technical director of the Community Arts Center in Williamsport. Um, and since then, both of I, uh, both of us have, have gone in uh, different directions. You back to um, uh, a former employee, or former employer, right, yeah. actually, yeah. prior to the CAC. So talk a little bit about what you do now. Um, now I'm a, I'm a manager. I manage the um, artist touring of uh, pianist George Winston. Uh, who is um, uh, a globally known pianist that I had actually worked for prior to working in the Community Arts Center and came back to him. So I, I, you know, I started working with him again back in uh, December of 2017. And right now I'm the vice president of his production company called Night Song Concerts, which is a division of his other uh, record company. And that's called Dancing Cat Productions. And so I head up the touring division of his company. So I'm curious because um, a lot of our listeners are um, either students or young professionals, right? People who mm-hmm. are kind of just starting their careers after high school, or maybe they're a few years in and they're kind of exploring different things. Um, now, you're, uh, you do not have a, a college degree in music business, as I, I think a lot of people um, who might look at what you're doing and say, oh, you know, that's kind of the career path I should take. So I'm curious, um, two things. One is when did you first aspire to get into events and artist management and also, um, and how, you know, if, uh, if that wasn't necessarily your educational background. Right. No. Um, you know, it kind of started back when I was young. Um, my first year in college, I was at Pennsylvania college of technology. Uh, I was, basically didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And uh, I really wanted to be a a national park ranger was kind of like the, that's what I aspired to be at the time. I was an Eagle scout and I just thought, you know, I like to camp. I like the outdoors, you know? And so I'll go to Penn college and uh, sign up for the general studies program to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And as I was in there, um, my, my parents encouraged me to find a job and said, you know, um, they have work study positions there. You need to go and explore that option. And so I did. I went to my advisor and uh, she had said, you know, here's how you apply and here's a good department, I think, for you. And so I ended up in the student activities department. And as part of that department, they were in charge of a 500 seat auditorium 
at Penn College called the Klump Academic Auditorium. And uh, I became basically a work-study student that was loading in regional shows. They were doing children's shows with theater works uh, out of uh, New York City, uh, some some lectures, um, different presentations, uh, campus-wide and stuff like that would come into that auditorium. Well, of course, that auditorium had lights. It had sound, you know, an audio system uh, and, and, and a stage, you know, with people that, you know, could sit and watch what was going on. And all of a sudden, I was just kind of injected by my, my, my employer, my boss at the time, which was, uh, her name was Joanne Fermiati. Uh, she was the student activities director at Penn College way back then. And uh, she said, hey, learn lights, learn audio, start running this facility for me. And I said, okay. And I had a few mentors that I worked with that were, they were AV guys that worked at Penn College that sure. know, had classrooms to take care of. And so they were happy that I would come in and do it all, you know, and I started out literally from taking tickets at the door, at, you know, to running upstairs and I'd have a spotlight in one hand, uh, the audio board in another. <laughs> and, and in my third hand that I didn't have, I'd be, I'd be running the light board too, you know, on an old XY fader, but I just grew to love it. And, uh, I thought, well, this is really cool. And so that's really where the bug, that's where the fire was lit. Um, and I, I started realizing through working in that facility, I actually, found myself sometimes feeling like I was going to, I was neglecting my classes because I, I had a show to do, you know, and I went hmm. and do the show. And, and, uh, you know, one thing I was really great at in, in my education at Penn college was my speech class, you know, so I could, I, it was one of the best grades I ever got going to school there. Uh, but I soon came to realize that, um, it, it was, it was a, a really neat atmosphere. Um, it fit right in with some of the hobbies I already had, you know, tinkering around with audio in my car or whatever when I was a kid. And I was always uh, fascinated. I was on a, when I was in high school, in high school orchestra, I was on this American Teacher Award uh, show with the Disney Channel. And we were in a Pantages theater. And so doing a show with all kinds of famous people. And uh, my orchestra director at the time, Walt Strayton, was nominated um, for the American Teacher Awards, um, uh, you know, award and so we got to take the whole strolling strings orchestra out to california and i got to play on the stage of the pantages theater in hollywood and so that's probably where it originally started as a musician as a high school musician going wow you know look at all this tech you know and how this works very cool yeah so the the community arts center in williamsport has an affiliation with pentech Yes. And um and so is that how you got plugged in as the the assistant production manager when you yeah. like first started your career there? Well, you know, I was running the small 500-seat auditorium as a work-study job. And then um, Pennsylvania College of Technology purchased this 2100-seat this Capitol Theater in downtown Williamsport back in the late 80s. And they, they went through a three- to four-year renovation. And uh, that all happened when I was in high school. Uh, but then when I started in college that their renovation the timelines kind of came together was coming to an end and they were getting ready to open this grand facility so i had about a year and a half two years in the 500 seat auditorium and the student activities director at that time was also in charge with now booking shows for this new 2100 seat uh, theater and downtown and so it was it was a pretty exciting time uh, so I got to my measly at the time. I think it was four seventy five an hour was minimum wage when I was working <laughs> as a work study student. They offered me seven dollars an hour to go down to the community arts center and start working as I was the second stage hand hired uh, after the renovation. And I didn't look back. I went, and you know, it ended up. I mean, being a, a really great career move. I worked with uh, 
a gentleman by the name of Randy Scheib, who now owns Vincent Lighting Systems out in Ohio. But Randy was the original technical director hired after, after the renovation. And then I worked as his assistant production manager uh, for about three years um, before my move. But in that facility, we saw major country acts. Um, there was a time uh, back in the day when, I don't know if it was in Country Music Magazine or something like that, but somebody made a statement that if you could sell country music and your show you know, does well in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and you can go anywhere in the United States and no tell kidding. that show. And so we kind of became in the in the early nineties a litmus test for country music. So I got to see, you know, guys like Mark Chestnut and, you know, um, Neil McCoy and, and there's just all these, you know, some of them, you know, even Trace Atkins, I think, was there early on in his career. So as a kid in my twenties, I was doing some pretty, pretty cool shows, big shows, Broadway, but then also mixed in with local performances, which was great. So really what happened there was my scope of learning broadened uh kind of the world came to me in that facility and i was able to work with some some great people great technicians and started realizing that there was a lot more i wanted to do i started realizing the guy you know managing us as a crew was kind of where i wanted to be Mm -hmm. so i just started aspiring to do that early on that's awesome and you know as a as a pretty young professional in a in a tiny little city in mm-hmm. the middle of, you know, central Pennsylvania. Um, sounds like you were in the right place at the right time with uh, a lot of opportunity for to just to see um, big name acts. Yeah. And um, and that's kind of well. And so speaking of big name acts, uh, you mentioned that you work with George Winston now. And um, so you, so you had this jump then from working at the CAC to working for george, george winston's company yeah yeah how did that happen it was an interesting transition um you know all all great things and and not so great things but but all great things come to an end sometimes and so as you're going through your career path and you know there was a time i think when i was at the cc early on where i envisioned myself being there for for a long time i was really having fun and liking it but then i started realizing that there were these other opportunities and so my the person i mentioned uh before that was the original technical director, Randy, he left and decided to move on and further his career. And so at the time I was left as now the, basically the interim technical director uh, at a young age. And I was advancing shows uh, in the absence of, you know, the the career change of of my former boss. And so um, it was a neat opportunity because I knew I could do it. Um, I, I had a, a good mentor. Randy was a great mentor. Showed me not only theater tech, but how to advance shows, how to, how to communicate, how to Paul, um, you know, there was a time when, um, Tom Petty was trying to do, uh, uh he was against Ticketmaster. He didn't like it. And so he wanted to find a small town with a lot of seats and do his own show. And so I found myself on the phone at like 20 years old with Tom Petty's tour manager discussing, how we could power the show and how we could sell tickets in our box office and stuff. So that was like one of my first times when I remember thinking to myself, Oh, they're, they're calling me and asking me for this information. I have it. And I know it uh, because of the experience I had from that little 500 seat auditorium working my way all the way up through. So, yeah. um, you know, so fast forward, uh, George Winston is one of the last shows uh, to come in, in this transition time. And I was there and I advanced the show with his crew. Uh, he had a great crew, a, a guy by the name of Charlie Lochtefeld, uh, who I'm still really good friends with, worked for George. I also worked uh, with another lady named Donna Michaels, who was George's tour manager at the time. And I worked with them in this facility at the Community Arts Center and did the show. And unexpectedly at the end, they said, 
you know, hey, you know, we like what you're doing. We're looking for a production manager, tour manager, eventually, uh, to join our team. And is this something you'd be interested in doing? Well, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, that would be cool. What, what would I do? They said, well, you're going to travel all around the world. You know, George travels to Asia, he travels to Europe, he goes all over the United States, he goes up to Alaska, he goes to Hawaii, and he does this in like a, a yearly cycle. You, you, this would be a great opportunity for you. And I, I was excited, you know, and I went home, got my resume, you know, I jokingly got on WordPerfect and, uh, you know, and, and, and people, if, if anybody knows what that is still, but I remember getting, you know, dot matrix printer rolling and, and got things going and I found the fax machine. Uh, at the time, I was working for a guitar maker in town in Williamsport as a part-time job, in addition to my theater job, and in addition to, to going to school and everything else. And at that point in time, I realized that I'm going to go on the road, and my education um, is going to be traveling. Uh, so I decided at that time that my associate's degree in general studies was good enough. And um, it was good enough to get me to that point, uh, combined with the work experience. Um, I'm... I, pro-education. I think if uh, you can get as much education as you can, you get it. But I think for me, there was an opportunity present and I saw the light. I also, you know, wasn't super wealthy, you know, and I knew I needed to work and I didn't, I saw the debt that was starting to mount up from my education and I decided, you know, let's give this touring thing a shot. And so I did. And soon after became the tour manager after the production manager and stayed with George for uh, about 10 years on the road touring with him uh, based on that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, gosh, there's so many uh, good points that you just highlighted. Uh, first of all, um, you're, you're talking about this opportunity that, you know, kind of it, the door easily could have closed if mm -hmm. ha had you said, no, I need to stay and, and, you know, finish a different degree or, or, whatever that might be. Um, obviously, the choice has led you down a, a, a very successful path. Um, and the, you know, the, the idea of this show is to try and give people who are exploring careers in the performing arts an idea of what's out there. Um, I know that when I was when I was personally the age that you were when you were making those decisions, I wasn't really even aware of um, or knew anybody. Or, you know, if I had said, hey, let me talk to somebody who does event management or, you know, stage management, I would have had no idea. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious about, uh, can you talk just a little bit about like now, what is your day to day like? And I know it could be very different because of because of COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, but in general, with your current position, um, you know, what do you what are you doing day in day out? What is what's the work like? Yeah. So right now, um, with COVID, it is difficult. Um, I've uh, am venturing into adjusting. Uh, normally, what we do is. Uh, we, we promote George Winston uh, around the country. Um, he currently is only traveling within uh, the United States. Uh, that's only because he's chose not to fly. Mm -hmm. um, but, so it, but it's busy. He's playing 90 to 95 shows a year in a normal environment, not in the global pandemic. But, um, and somebody has to keep those shows organized and keep things moving and rolling. Uh, and, and that's what we do at, with Night Song Concerts. Uh, I work with a, a booking agent. Uh, her name's Dina Dusko, and she's with High Road Touring. And um, 
we basically review and accept offers that she sends us that she goes out and cultivates and solicits and, and brings that in. And then um, one of my jobs is to review those offers with George to see if we want to go into those markets uh, where they buy his show for, for a flat fee. And sometimes there's bonuses and percentages added to that that I have to review as well. And I need to make sure that the, the, the money is right for George. And, you know, I'm lucky to work with an artist that's not fiscally driven because he likes to give back to the community and stuff. At the same time, um, it's hard to sometimes, you know, not go for that extra money. But knowing that I got a guy who would rather give back to a community, a local food bank or, or do a benefit show has a lot of rewards that are outside of the, the financial realm of things. And so it's, it's a very fulfilling position to know that we can help people, uh, that I can help George with his career. And one of the other things that we do in helping George with his career and, and, and I mean, his career is long lasting, you know, it's almost like I'm helping, I'm helping maintain what he's been doing for 30 years. Yeah, sure. Um, but George said, look, I, there are markets now that are underserved. The big names came in, Live Nation came in, uh, AEG, these really large, you know, concert promoters came in into the business and, and it kind of pushed out some of the local uh, promoters and, and presenters in different markets. And George wanted to go back to those markets. So one of the things that he said when I came on with him in, in December of 2017, he said, I want a four wall book shows in between our agency book shows. So what that means is we go in as a self-represented entity under night song concerts. And that's where that comes from. And we go in and, and I rent a hall and four walls mean you're renting the four walls, the ceiling and the floor. But, uh, and you hope there's a piano in there. If there's not, then I have to rent a piano. Uh, he is a Steinway artist, so we have a network that we can uh, tap into to find instruments. Uh, we hire a tuner. We make sure the techs are there. We have a little bit of lighting and audio that is required for George's show. Uh, I've even started my own Eventbrite account where if the theater doesn't come with a box office, or I should say the venue space, we'll play anything from church, you know, church sanctuaries to college auditoriums to downtown vaudeville theaters. If they're available to rent and there's not a local buyer, uh, or a presenter in that market to buy George's show from the agency. And we just go in as night song concerts and four wall uh, book and promote those shows on our own. Uh, we use an advertising agency that we contract with. But for the most part, it's, it's, uh, it's night song concerts coming in. We could be in Abilene, Texas at, at you know, <laughs> whatever theater and say, you know, we're coming in and, and we're solely responsible to get those tickets sold and get that show done. There's not a lot of local support there for it. And so that's my major part of my job out of those 90 to 95 shows that George plays a year, we book about 20 to 34 walls, uh, you know, and to get him basically from a to, to C we're the B in the middle and a tour where if he's got a 10 hour drive, he says, stop me off in five hours as like what we call a gas money gig and get me there. Let's do a show. And so that's what we accomplish at, at night song concerts. So, as as you're describing that, if I could like just crystallize a little bit, um, you're in in a lot of ways you're in a business um, kind of deal making function where you're reviewing contracts, you're um, you're assessing whether or not uh, you know the the budget for a given project will work. You're doing project management and you're doing event production, um, kind right. of all wrapped into one. Yeah. Um, so. You mentioned that you were active as a musician in your high school orchestra. Um, you're not actually physically making music your, yourself as a part of your gig. Is that something 
that you miss? Is it something that you still make a part of your life? Or, or are you the, um, for you, was was doing, you know, for some people, uh, they're, they're, what they did as a musician was kind of like, that was kind of a hobby um, that kind of had a time that it came and went. Um, whereas some people, it's kind of a, a, a deeper, like, you know, I... I can't go without playing my whatever for right. you know for a few weeks. Um, so where do, where do you fall along that? Is it something that you still have the chance to to do at all? Well, I think you know, other than you know going through the Boy Scout program that made me want to become a park ranger. Yeah. Um, you know, at a young age, uh, the other major major influence I had in my life uh, was from in third grade. I wanted to play the biggest instrument that was on the stage, and I had a chance to join orchestra. And so, of course, that was the upright bass. And nice. I remember my mom just going, what? You know, <laughs> and so but being a loving mother and, and loving parents, they made sure that I was able to do that. Um, you know, I also wanted to play, I played trombone when I was in fourth grade. But then we found out we weren't allowed to have two school instruments at the time. And so I had to give one up. So I stuck with the bass. Uh, and I'm happy I did. I, there's a, a lot of great influences uh, by doing that for my early on music teachers, uh, Jim Bertrand and the Williamsport School District. Uh, all the way up through to my last music teacher, which was Walt Strayton. And, and Walt played in a band. It was called Voyage. It was a, a, a wedding and event band. It was a great band. They actually played at my wedding. Nice. Um, and so um, he basically said, look, I got this band, and we go, we load in and out of you know the country club or or the, the, the major hotels downtown and the ballrooms. And, and so we need somebody to lug our gear. We're just, we don't feel like doing that anymore. How about you and a buddy start moving our gear around, you know? And so I was like, okay, so here I am. I'm a musician. I'm still playing the bass. Um, I started doing that for him when I was in high school. Right. I think I remember I was, I think I was 16 and a half, you know, I mean, I, I like got my driver's license and, and he was like, Hey, you can go pick up my van and, and this other Bobby Lidecker, who you're familiar with was a drummer in that band. And he said, go get Bobby's truck. The drums are on his truck. Everything else is here. Take it to the gig, set it up, come back at one o'clock in the morning tear it all back down and, and we'll pay you some money, you know? So, um, there was a combination where if I wasn't a musician, if I wasn't in orchestra, if I didn't know Walt Strayton, uh, if I hadn't already been touring around the state, uh, with the strolling strings, which kind of gave me a touring bug. I felt like a rock star when I was in high school with that, when I was yeah. in, that, in that group, I mean, we played for the governor. We were, yeah. we were at a Pantages theater in Hollywood. And, and so we'd go to the Philadelphia art museum and there was like this major, major entities there and players that were in the, that room that we didn't even know. You know, we were here we in high school. We didn't realize there was oil barons and stuff, you know, in these meetings, you know, in these, <laughs> these events, you know, we just smiled and, and played like we were, like we were supposed to is, and I loved it, you know, and, and so I think that probably is what really lit me up early on as to, to, you know, saying this touring, this, you know, being a musician. And I even thought at one point, maybe the Air Force band, you know, that way oh, I could tour sure. and play, you know, something like that. And those were things too. Um, but, you know, I, I think time just takes over and opportunities are in front of you. And so really when I started touring with George Winston, I was about 20, yeah, it's probably 20 two years old, I think is when I took my first job with him. And uh, I remember it was funny because we always joke because I couldn't rent a car yet because I was 20. I can't rent a huh. car till you're 24 without some kind of you know permission slip. So we had to figure that all out. But, um, and I tried to continue playing. I, I played in some church groups. Um, I played with some friends, but because I played a rather large instrument, um, I wasn't all that great on the electric bass. I tried to take one with me 
on the road for a while to practice and I and I snapped the neck in an airplane. Oh got frustrated. It was back in old soft bag, but you know Oh uh, yeah. Eh, it was a old Yamaha fretless, but it but it was still it still was, you know, painful at the time when it happened, but I just thought I just fell away from it because I was concentrating on my career as a tour manager and just really didn't I was on the road about two hundred days a year at the time. Uh, flying all over the world and i just didn't have the opportunity to play as much so so i fell away from my love of playing i mean i had great influences in my in my high school music programs don griffin band teacher played in jazz band paul kellerman i love playing in jazz band i mean it was like my way to rock out as an orchestral you know Mm -hmm. classic musician you know from third grade until my senior year in high school so i do miss it i and i i would really like to find the time to get back into it a little bit the last time I played was at a reunion for the uh, the Strolling Strings group that I was in. It was the 25th uh, reunion about probably five or six years ago now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and so it was fun. And I got to play on the Community Arts Center stage, you know, right where I was working at the time. So it was, that was interesting, too. Yeah. So, so right. So after, you know, after this very early gig at the Community Arts Center, you went and worked with George. And yes. then you came back to the community arts center. I did. Um, yeah. And that's when you and I met. Um, yep. And that was in the role of technical director. And, um, and then eventually as the uh, operations executive director um, after, after the ED um, left for a different job for a while. Right. Um, and um, so uh, what prompted that shift? You were, you were traveling all over the world. You were, um, you know, very, very active and, and kind of going for it there. Mm-hmm. Um uh, what prompted you to come back? Well, I, I met a wonderful woman. And uh, so, you know, there are, there are forces of nature that, that you know, uh, make you do things. And, and so <laughs> I, I, I literally met the woman that I, I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, her name's Elizabeth. And uh, we met. And at the time, I was, she actually traveled with me uh, several times, went out on tour with me. And we just decided we're going to be together. We're going to start a family. And to do that, that touring lifestyle of 200 days a year uh, just wasn't going to, you know, be able to work in, in, in my new life change that was, was happening. And so in planning for that, I started looking for other jobs and, and uh, I remember I was interviewing at a Harley Davidson dealership and, okay. and it just, to, to, and I had actually sold Harleys at one point in my life. And so that kind of felt a little natural. Um, and at the time, the Community Arts Center was going through a transition. Uh, they were hiring a new executive director by the name of Rob Steele. And I remember seeing it in the newspaper. And Rob Steele had gotten wind uh, of me uh, being this guy who toured with George Winston all over, you know, for ten, almost 10 plus years. And so I got this uh, random email at the time. And he said, hey, you know, I'm the new executive director at the Community Arts Center in Williamsport. I know you have a history here. And I see you have a history touring. I'm looking for an interim technical director. Do you have the summers off? <clears throat> and I said, well, you know, I used to be the production manager, assistant production manager, whatever at the art center. I thought, well, this is natural. Said, yeah, I had the summers off. So he goes, look, I'll hire you for the summer uh, to just basically get me through until I could find a new technical director. So I, I did that work with, with some other folks uh, locally in town that had some affiliations with the theater. We did Miss Saigon, I think was one of the musicals. And then we did Willie Nelson. And I remember because of my ties to the local Harley Davidson shop, I arranged to have some motorcycles, uh, three of them dropped off for Willie Nelson and his crew. Uh, of course, they signed a, a waiver, a liability <laughs> waiver, but they were they were able to get on these bikes and, and ride around Williamsport. And I brought in 
you know, Fred Daniele and Maria Daniele from Franco's to do the catering. And, and I just brought all those local resources together that I knew over the years and said, you know, this is how I would want, this is how I want to be treated. I knew how to be treated on the road because I was touring. So I had this mm-hmm. experience of touring with George Winston, doing advanced work, knowing, I mean, when you do advanced work, it's, it's different for every single town when you're on the road. Um, and so I got to find a stage door in 30 different towns, you know, I got to find, you know, a new light or work with a new lighting person or audio person in 30 different towns coming out, you know, plus, you know, as you're going through the door. So here's this neat opportunity at the community arts center where they're coming to you. And so now you're not working in different cities. You can familiar, familiarize yourself with the entities that are in the town, things that you can use like the, the hotel next door, you know, you build relationships with them. And so I started doing this in this small two month process of being the interim technical director for Rob Steele when he started back in 2005 or six, I think I think it was 2006. Yeah. And at the end of it, Rob pulled me aside. We were up in the, the uh, Capitol lounge, which is the, the bar and lounge at the community arts center. And he said, Hey, what would it take, you know, for you to do this full time? And I said, well, Hey, it's kind of funny. I'm actually, you know, met somebody and I need to get off the road. So let's start talking. And so he and I started talking and it was ironic because I had moved 55 minutes away to Belfont, Pennsylvania with my then girlfriend at the time and uh, found myself commuting back to Williamsport after accepting a job from Rob Steele as the technical director. So I was driving back to my hometown, but I loved living in Center County. But um, So I did that for, for three years before we moved back to Williamsport. But it was essentially um, knowing that I, there was a need for me. I had a life change happening and you don't know until you step out of your comfort zone and take that big step if it's going to be the right move. And it was. And uh, regretfully, I, at the time, I left my job with George Winston, but it, but happy, you know, and George and I are good friends and he understood that I had a trans transition in my life. And George always said to me, look, Dave, this isn't your thing. This is my thing. You know, you need to go do your thing. And he says, I'm going to continue doing my thing and let's stay in touch. Yeah. And that, that was it, you know, and then, then I was, you know, 11, 12 years at the art center from there. So. Yeah. And here you are back again with George. Yeah. And so, yeah. So ironically enough, after those transitions happen and, you know, I, I it seems like that 10 year mark is, has some kind of, you know, meaning in my life, but, yeah. um, but later on I was, um, looking for another transition. Rob Steele had left. He was our executive director at the art center, a joy to work with. He moved on to, to other things in Florida. Um, we had a short transition with somebody else and, and that didn't work out. And so I was asked by the administration uh, and the board of directors at the art center to, to step up and lead as the operations executive director of the theater. Uh, at first it was kind of like an unknown, like, you know, maybe, maybe this is an interim job and it turned into a full-time job. Um, but, I found myself pulled away from, from what I really love. Uh, I love the production aspect of things. I like putting things on, you know, putting people on stage. Uh, I like that interaction with the artist across with the crew and in the result of when you, when that curtain goes up and the lights go on, that rush of that audience, just cheering and knowing that you had a part of putting that all together. To me, it's as comforting as a babbling brook in, in the woods, you know, that's comforting to me too. But when you've worked hard all day, in the morning, you know, show come in at 6.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, you unload those trucks, you get them all set up, and by 7 o'clock, the curtain goes up and people are cheering. It's a it's a real big feeling of accomplishment, you know, and, and so uh, those were the thrills, in the, in, you know, of, of, of doing that, you know, and so when I was in that position of running the Community Arts Center, I was missing the thrill. You know, I got to make pre-show announcements. I had to go and raise money for, you know, because they were a nonprofit, and so and it was a side of me that I could do it. It just wasn't in my soul to do it anymore. 
And so at the time I decided I needed to make another career move. And I actually reached out to George Winston and said, Hey, I might think about becoming a booking agent, you know, and work with a company out of New York city, uh, geographically in Williamsport, you're close enough to New York city. You could either work out of Williamsport and commute a few times or move to the city. Um, and I had my feelers out there and I had been networking because I was booking shows for the community arts center at the time. So I was networking with a lot of agencies. So I was using those resources and those connections the, you know, it's the people, you know, and how you treat those people, uh, when you're working with them and, and, um, you know, I started reaching out and George said, Hey, I got an idea. Uh, instead of me, show, you know, giving you this information, some of my contacts and stuff, why don't you come back and just work for me? And I remember it was October 17th, really close. Or I'm sorry, October, 2017, really close to Halloween. And I just kind of was like, Oh, you know, I, I didn't realize you were looking for somebody. He goes, well, we are, you know? And so there were some circumstances and he said, I just want you to come back as our operations, you know, person. Yeah. And, and we're going to start a production company where we're going to four wall shows. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm working. There's not as many traditional buyers out there in the market as there used to be. And I want to rent venues. I want to do shows on our own. So you know how to do that. I did that for him before, uh, early on when I worked with him, uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, um, so I said, sure, let's talk. And so we started talking and it was great. Uh, you know, I now work out of my house in, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I didn't have to move. And I was able to work with a great person. Uh, in a great company and come back into that comfortably. And, and we also, after about a year, uh, brought my wife on full-time as well. Uh, oh, wow. As a, a tour company manager where she's in charge of all the logistics of George's uh, advancing and stuff of his shows. So we get to work together. So it's been a great, a great transition. Yeah. So you had some, obviously, some, you know, um, meeting your wife and starting your family, key major important lifestyle decision to make that you were able to have your your uh job kind of follow um and then that has even continued again uh and what i love um not only about that but about the way that you talked about you know bringing in the harleys for uh for willie nelson and his and his people and um all of that is there is uh, a creativity there dave that uh, you know, when I think about, you know, being a musician or doing something that's creative or expressive, I can hear just in your voice talking about doing that, those kind of things, the pride that you feel in, in creating an experience for those artists, mm -hmm. um, or in creating the shows that you're putting together now that you're really still getting to do something that's really fulfilling, um, as a, as a creative person. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, it's, it does. It, it's so I was a creative person as a musician. Um, I wanted to improvise a solo and jazz band. You know, I remember we learned the Mueller rush method and so it was all by numbers and strings. And, and, and I remember my band teacher in high school saying, we're going to a jazz band competition at GAR high school out in, I think Scranton or whatever. He says, it's big, you know, and you're not improvising solos right now you need to learn to improvise, you know? And so it was one of those things of, of knowing that I love to play the bass, uh, knowing that I, everybody else was improvising solos. I, I needed to learn it and because it felt good and it was new. So, you know, admittedly my first solo I ever improvised in a competition was written down by my, you know, it was written out. Nope. I know. And I, but I learned how to step out of that and enjoy the music side of it. 
And so for me, when I take that transition from being a musician and feeling the music and, and going from that point of reading it on paper to feeling it, that's what really happened to me in my career on, this, on working on stages. Um, I, I went from understanding the mechanics of it to just loving what I do and seeing the response of the people. So like as a musician, when you blow that long solo note on your trumpet or whatever, and the audience stands up and screams and yells because it was awesome. You know, I, I'm not necessarily, I don't need to be out in front, you know, of that audience so they can see me, but it's kind of neat to sit and let somebody else have that opportunity and know that we set them up as a team, a technical team. And you get, again, that roar from the audience uh, and it's just, it's fulfilling and it, and it makes you, want to do the next one and want to do the next one, you know, and you work with great people and you meet people from all over the world. I mean, the Chinese acrobats would come in your door one day. I'd have Ringo Starr coming in the door the next day, uh, you know, or I'm out on the road with George Winston in Bellingham, Washington and in a hotel front desk. I, I just randomly run into weird Al Yankovic standing right <laughs> beside me. And I, I was like, weird, is that you? You know, and he's like, who are you? You know, we started talking. Well, then I found out that weird Al Yankovic, a huge George Winston fan. And I said, well, George is right upstairs in this hotel room. Al said, bring him out to the bus. We'll chat. Well, then 15 years later, I'm doing a Weird Al Yankovic show with George Winston. I'm sorry, with, uh, at the Community Arts Center. And Weird, Weird Al and I, we, we, we kind of kept in contact through a mutual friend, his guitar player, uh, Jim Kimo West at the time. And, um, and so he's like, hey, I remember that time we met in Bellingham, you know. And so it's just that like this, this thing where I'm meeting Weird Al in Bellingham you know, 15 years prior, now I'm a technical director at the Community Arts Center doing a Weird Al show, and we're remembering all these great memories from touring. And it's because you are, you're still creating art together. I mean, whether you're a musician playing as a, a piece in an orchestra, as a, as a, a section, as, a, as, you know, like when I was in the bass section, I contributed to the, the grand part of the orchestra. Well, as a technical director or as a technician doing these shows, you're like one of those musicians sitting, you know, in the, in the first violin section or second violin section, you're contributing. And, and you're coming up with an end product. And, and as a technical director, you're kind of the conductor of that whole thing. It all comes together. And so you kind of get the same fulfillment, you know, and it's what, it's that, what grows that passion to do it over again. You know, you, you want to, you almost get sad at the end of the night when you wrap it up. Yeah, it's been a long day. You might have been, you started in the morning, you're 15 hours in. Uh, I always say we did Wizard of Oz at the Community Arts Center years ago, and I call it my 25-hour day <laughs> uh, because it really was, you know. <laughs> And uh, five trucks, you know, it was like trying to stuff, you know. That's a heavy show, yeah. Too, yeah, too much into a small space. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was good. But still, even after all that, pure exhaustion, uh, you, you know, you take a day's break, you wake up two days later, you're ready to do it again because you love it. So Yeah. So I'm curious to get your take on something. As you describe your career path, it seems to me that there are many just happy coincidences where things lined up for you, right? You're, right. you know, Rob Steele emails right when you're looking to, to kind of settle down and get off the road. Um, George says, Hey, you know, why don't you just come back and work for us? Um, the, the uh, Penn college buys the community arts center, right? As you're right. Uh, kind of in this position. Um, so, you know, what, what is your, do you feel like, are you just, are you just lucky Dave? Or do you <laughs> feel, do you feel like everybody, um, kind of has these, 
these you know moments of serendipity if they're kind of paying attention to them and willing to take you know you mentioned taking a little bit of risk here and there you know like stopping going to school and um you know what as you reflect on your own experience what do you what do you make of that well you know i i think about it like it's it's i don't know if it's luck uh i mean i don't know We're, we're we're given opportunities that are in front of us and you have to stop and and i've learned not to make quick decisions. I've learned to stop and think, ask for the time to think. If somebody says, you know, do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. Give me a day, you know, uh, let me run it by my friends, my family, my wife, you know, at the time when you're younger, your parents or whoever that confidant is that you can go to. Um, And so I think what it, if I look back on my career, I think it attributes to how I was taught by my mentors and how I treated people on my path. Uh, If you go through burning bridges you know and you burn it all down you're not going to get anywhere and there's times when you need to suck up your pride um there's times when somebody will have their foot on top of your head pressing down and you're in the water trying to get out um and you have to realize that instead of getting angry about that uh you pull that and you turn that into a learning experience and and you take that and and use i use that as energy to find the next thing and and to realize that you know there are, to me, I try to think to myself, there are no negative experiences. There are things that weren't so great, but there's also, it's also surrounded by a lot of really, really great experiences. And so you keep that positive attitude. Uh, you know, they say the power of positive thinking without sounding like an infomercial. But for me, it was pretty much just like, keep those networks open. It's not how you, you know, it's not who you know, it's just how people know you is what I always felt. It's, it's, you want to sell yourself, uh, you want to make yourself marketable and you want people to trust you. So when you make that transition, I may, you know, I was good to George Winston and dancing cat productions from in a time period when I was younger, I loved working with them. They knew it, you know? And so 11, 12 years later, we come back, it was a natural, you know, basically course for us all to take to say, let's come back together again and start doing great things again together. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it wasn't even, it, 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 I didn't have a second thought about coming back. And so whatever my next transition is from here, I don't know if it'll be a, a blind thing. That, I mean, I'm, I'm still young enough that there's going to be another transition at some point in time in my life. And I just have to go back on those laurels of knowing that the next transition, you know, when presented to me, will will you know, I'll know it, you know, or I'll feel it out. And if it's, you know, if it doesn't turn out so great move on to the next thing after that. You know, it's uh, you can't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. You can't be afraid to take that leap. Um, I think because I, I didn't have that fear to do that. I, I could do it easier. You know, I didn't, I, you know, I, it was easier to me for me to make those transitions and not feel like what, what if, you know, if you live your life about what if you're not going to excel, you're not going to go into the next thing. You're just going to always be wondering. And it doesn't matter what if, what, what matters is what's now. And, and that you make your best decisions for your future. And that's pretty much all I've done. So call it luck, you know, call it just being good to people. You know, I always say it sounds corny, but, you know, as a as a Boy Scout and Eagle Scout, you know, follow the 12 points of the Scout Law. And you can Google those and look it up if you don't know them. But you can follow the 12 points of the Scout Law and, and it'll help you through your life. And, and it'll it'll make you realize and appreciate where you're at and, and where you can go. So. I love that. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, um, 
Dave, again, this has been great. Uh, I think I'll just uh, ask you to leave us with maybe one more uh, thought or question. If um, if there's somebody listening that has, you know, really just loved and eaten up everything that you've said, and and uh, boy, what this guy does sounds fantastic. I I want to get into that. What advice would you give? Well, I, I would say from my own experience, uh, when you're young. Even if you're not young, maybe you're older and you just want a career change. But um, start. Don't be afraid to go to your local venues, your local performance uh, spaces. Uh, it could be anything from a hotel ballroom to uh, a vaudeville theater to a symphony hall. Uh, and volunteer your time if they won't hire you. You know, go in and say, "I want a job." Being a now, it's going to be difficult once COVID lifts and you know the pandemic goes away. These spaces will open back up. Right. Uh, but get get involved and and get in at the ground level. I mean, I started loading and unloading trucks. That's how I I started my career. Um, then did I ever think that I'd you know be the vice president of a production company? No. Uh, but I knew I aspired to do greater things, and I worked hard. Um, and and I always wanted to kind of pass that goodwill on. Uh, as I work through my career, helping other people. And, and so get into the, get in, you know, at a ground level, don't be afraid to learn how to run the lighting system. Don't be afraid to learn how to run the audio system. Don't be afraid to learn how to run the ticketing system. Just learn all the aspects and everything you can absorb it all in. Even while you're at college, you know, if you're in college and a lot of these uh, universities have theatrical facilities or, or arenas and stuff, get on those crews and start working, start networking, you know, do a good job, be noticed, you know, be on time, you know, 15 minutes early is on time in this business, you know, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to even pass the torch on, you know, I've, there's some young people that worked for me when I was at the community arts center who came to me, one of them is Calvin Welchans. Uh, he was 18 year old graduate of homeschool, uh, ran audio in his church, uh, at the door church in Williamsport and said, Dave, I'll do anything. I just want to come in and work in this facility. I said, okay. I said, I don't have the budget to pay you right now. He came in and he worked for me, volunteered for a week. And I recognized the talent. I said, let's get you on payroll. Let's figure this out. And now he works for Claire Brothers and, and you know, Autolytics, which is the largest audio company in the world. I mean, he's out in the road with Kiss, you know, something yeah. like that. And there's another guy I met at the Bloomsburg Fair. His name's Jake Bagus. Uh, he came to me the same thing. I was, I was, it was a side thing I was doing. And I was, I was stage managing at the Bloomsburg Fair back in, in 2010. And um, he came to me and said, I, I just, I'll work on your stage for the whole entire fair week for nothing. I just want to do this. Well, now he's a, a major, major technician with, with the WWE, the, the wrestling, you know, organization. And so, and he travels all over the world with them. And so it's neat to see these people that were in that position that I was in, you know, they're 10, 15 years younger than me or whatever. And now they've, they're now being able to, because they paid attention, you know, they got noticed. Um, it's just putting the work in the time and the effort. It's a very rewarding, you know, career. Uh, you could just be a stagehand for the rest of your life if that's what you want to do. But you could also keep networking and be willing to move, be willing to relocate. I know that doesn't work for everybody, but you need to, if something, if opportunity comes up in the West Coast, you know, pick it up and go and go do it, especially while you're young, before you have ties, you know, that would keep you from going. And then it, it, the rest of it all just come together. I mean, if you, if you work hard at it, it's like anything, you know, um, you'll be recognized uh, people will like working with you and, and you'll, you'll become memorable, you know, make a mark on those, those people that are, those jobs, there's people are going to retire someday. I'm going to pass the torch on what I do to somebody, you know, that that's going to have to take over where I'm at. And I'm, I'm hoping I can give that opportunity to somebody that's going to appreciate it and, and use it as, as either their, their last career move or their, you know, before retirement or, or their step to something greater in their life, you know? So. 
I think that's, uh, I think that, does that kind of answer what, <laughs> it does. where we are? Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, thank you so much. David, it's great seeing you again. Yeah, you too, Lee. It's, it's been a while, so it's really great to reconnect. I, I appreciate that. A big thank you to David Whitnack for the great conversation today. If you or someone you know is in the process of exploring a new career in the performing arts industries, you can learn more about the benefits of working with a career coach at artsboundcareerdesign.com. Chris Lidecker composes our music. I'm Lee Savalixic. Thanks for listening.